Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, along with producer Benny Mathers. Shantae Young, co-host of The Way with Jazz and Tay, which airs on KKNW at 7 a.m. on Thursdays, is with us today. Shantae will be asking me questions about what it takes to write a book, to get it out from inside your head, and to getting it published. But first, what's it like to be a Seattle police officer, and why would anyone choose this as a career? Kevin O'Neill, who recently retired from the Seattle Police Department, will answer this question and many others. My first question, are the interactions between the police and public changing? The officers that I have been around, the older uh, kind of kind of officers, will, will interact. The, one of the things that I find very interesting is, is, and you may see it, if you go Starbucks or teriyaki shop or something like that, you'll see the officers, sometimes the younger ones, uh, uh, who will come in and they, they have those, I think, god-awful external vests on with all the, all the paraphernalia on the front of it. I'm not a fan of that. I think it makes it look like we're in Beirut. I never wore that. I always, always had the, the gun belt and, and such. But um, you know, the officers would stand there, kind of holding their 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 vests. In my opinion, Paul, who's, who's going to approach somebody like that? Yeah, you're I so right. The, it's like you go into Starbucks and you think you're going to war. Absolutely. I mean, I would go in and. My last partner in, in traffic was a younger officer, and I mean, we, we just hit it off really well because we'd start conversations with just about anybody. And that's what has to happen. That's, that's, you're never going to please everybody. We were under the DOJ for 10 years, and we were making strides. The amount of money that was spent for training on, on you know, de-escalation and, 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 and bias training and all of those things. In a, in a period of what two months seems like it's out the out the window, and we need to you know we need to get rid of the police, and that's my for me. I can only speak for myself. That's my biggest biggest frustration because I the community even after all of this when the riots started and all of that started, I'd have people of of all nationalities, all backgrounds roll up next to you in a, in the police car, roll down the window, and give the thumbs up and say, you know, we don't want less police, we want more police. We, we like our police in Seattle. And, uh, I mean, Carmen, I think, did a great job in, the, in recruiting. I lived in Seattle a very long time, I mean, about 40-plus years. I look at uh, some of the things that are going on now, and I always wonder about, well, if I was running the city, this is how I'd do it. Like, I do that probably three right. times a day, and my wife says, shut up, Paul, you're not running the city. <laughs> Take out the garbage. <laughs> So, uh, anyhow, I uh, look at some of this, and and some of the things that I look at going back, I'm thinking about Admiral Way. I live in West Seattle. And I wonder about, like, community policing where a police officer walks the beat, kind of checks in at the uh, local restaurant. How you just say, how's things going? Hey, it's good. Come in, have a cup of soup and whatever. And then she says, you know, there's some guys hanging around the alley in the last week or so. Let me keep an eye on it. That sort of interaction. What I see now, it seems, and maybe it's just my observation, is that mm-hmm. you just see the police speeding to uh, altercation when, in fact, sure. it would be really good if they were out there in better times. Absolutely. And Seattle is or and was on the, the forefront. They were they were they were the community police people. We had it down to a science, but it does take the initiative of officers to get out of their car park their car and go and interact. And I, and I always, Paul, I always interacted with the younger people. By the time you reach 
uh, my age, you kind of made up your mind. But when the when the you know the younger kids, the the high schoolers, they, they're still learning. They're still figuring it out. And if all they see are you know the Gestapo police coming in and taking mom or dad to jail, and they don't ever have a a, a, a positive interaction, that's that's where I, I think a, some of this rioting and and stuff has has happened. I spent ten years or so as a school resource officer in Seattle, in the primarily the North End, handling Roosevelt, Nathan Hale, Ingram, Ballard. We had a team of four officers, and we'd kind of share the duties. But it gave them an opportunity to talk to Officer Mike, to talk to Officer Kevin, to talk to Officer Devlin on a on a not an emergency situation. Our team of officers. I mean, we made inroads with with kids. I still and, and the other officers that I served with still have kids that contact them. They'll see them at a game. They'll see them with their families and wanting to introduce their families to the cops. Back what two thousand four, I think it was did away with the majority of the SRO program. Uh, the SRO program is, is the school resource officer program. But, and that, and that's I a shame that that, they did away with that in 2004. So much you know, what you're talking about is common sense, that if you make these investments oh, yeah. early on, that you'll have a better outcome at the end. And just what you were referring to earlier, it's like we can hold two thoughts on our head at one time. And one is right. we can support Black Lives Matter. We do not support the thugs that are taking advantage of their demonstrations. That's number one. Number two, we can also support the police, which we are doing and we want to do. And it's lunacy to think about defunding the police. That is not Mm -hmm. common sense. Never in my 31-year career, never went into a situation where I wanted to ramp it up. You treat each individual with dignity, and the majority of officers do this. I went 31 years, had two complaints, made numerous traffic stops every single day, interacted with people at, at the various sporting events, some of which were intoxicated folks and all of that kind of thing. I pride myself on that because one of the things that my brother, who's a retired sergeant from the police department, years ago, when I first got out of the academy, he said, this is what's not, you're going you're, you're not going to get yourself in trouble. You treat every single person with dignity, whether they're wearing the three-piece suit or they have no shoes on their feet. That's how you do it. Right. And that brings me to a question that I've had many times. I've had interactions with officers getting stopped for tickets. I got a ticket on the West sure. Seattle Bridge, too, but they're doing their job. I yep. said, hey, I did it. You yep. got me. Yep. And, and sure. my interactions have been, I'd say, pleasant, but, hey, they haven't sure. been bad. I've had one bad incident, but I don't have to get into that. But uh, that yep. wasn't here. That was actually back east. What I can't understand is we talk about Derek Chauvin's written up 19 times or so for bad behavior. I'm wondering why, two questions here. One is that let's say I'm a police officer and I'm like you, I'm you sitting in in the car and I've got a hothead next to me. He's putting my life in danger, I think. And I would want him off the force more than me. And I wonder why the police cannot get rid of these few bad apples when I hear, oh, you know, this isn't primarily all the police officers. I understand that through my experience. However, what I don't understand is why the guild or the police will not get rid of these officers we're talking about. Well, in, in Seattle, they will. Derek Chauvin isn't in isn't in Seattle. In Seattle, they right. will 
get rid of him, Stu. I don't do not want to have somebody working, just like you said, working next to me in a car that maybe that day shouldn't be have the uniform on. Maybe that day they needed to go home. Mm-hmm. What happened in, in Minneapolis, I would probably bet a year's salary on would never happen here in Seattle because, just as you said, some officer would have stopped that. Why did you want to become a police officer? It never appealed to me per se because I think uh, you're running into negative situations every day. Sure. Well, with all due respect, I have to correct you. We don't run into bad things every single day. Majority of things that we would would deal with are, are positive. But I think that comes from in any form of life, in any job. It's how you approach it. And if you if you're a negative sort and you're only looking for the negative, <laughs> the past what four months in Seattle, it's kind of the negative every single day. And my heart goes out to those officers that have to put that uniform on and deal with, like you called them earlier, thugs bent on causing trouble. There, there, there were and there are, and I was part of the peaceful protest with beautiful people ex- exercising their constitutional right to protest. When it turns sour and these people infiltrate the very good people who want accountability for the police, when you when you're you know burning buildings and you're you're assaulting, throwing water bottles at officers and, and ball bearings and and all of that stuff, you're not a peaceful protester. For for me, it wasn't a like a lifelong dream to be a police officer. I was always involved with youth activities. And I saw policing as a way to reach the kids, to reach the youth, as you know, using the the, the uniform as a vessel to reach to reach kids and to reach uh, adults as well. well. I remember being taken to Yankee Stadium and Shea Stadium to watch the Mets and the Yankees play by a group of police officers. And had it not been those police officers from Westport, Connecticut that got us on a bus and took us down to New York City or out to Long Island, I probably would never have went to as many games as as I was able to. I've always been so impressed with the New York police when I'm walking in Manhattan. I have a question. They're very friendly. And they have this presence out there that I don't think we have in Seattle. The thing that I've heard from most people is that they want more of a police presence in the city. And it's part yeah. of like standing on the corners and things like that, like they do in New York. And it's just part yeah. of the the environment and you feel safe. <laughs> Seattle is at a, a situation where because of the current current things going on, they're losing officers. Yes. And uh, now, can I ask you, you know, one question? Did you retire sure. um, just when you uh, when your time was up or did you retire early because you were kind of not liking the direction? Well, you know, it's funny because they asked me on the on the form that I filled out uh, to give reasons why. Well, what is the reason why you're retiring? And I just said it is time. They eliminated the afternoon traffic squad, which means in the afternoon those school zones are going to be are going to be patrolled. So that was just time, Paul. You're the kind of officer to me is just the one that would be the one you think in your mind that you want in the force. How many people think like you? I think there are quite a few. One of the things, one of the things that they've talked about as far as the recruiting was that they would have to take the, some of the new hires, new officers that they hired, and because so, so everyone's so attached to their cell phones, and you'll be, t- you know, my kids do it. They'll be texting each other, you know, and you're in the room, 
with them. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, so, so we get we've gotten accustomed to not chit chatting like you and I are. Right. So they would take these new recruits and they'd take them down to the waterfront and they'd make them talk to people. They'd make them interact, and that was part of their their training. Get out and talk to people. Treat people with dignity and treat people the way you would want an officer to treat your family. I made it my career, knock on wood, 31 years, never had to pull my gun on anyone other than, you know, the uh, building search or something like that. And most officers can say that. One of the things that I'd like to, to, to see is that these people that are causing the trouble, where are they from? Are they from Seattle or are they from back east or are they from the Midwest or are they from Portland or are they from, why are they coming up and ruining our city? Right. You're why, talking why about they, the recent why, why recent they... incidents in CHOP, or is that... Sure, absolutely. Well, exactly. I ask that all the time. You got the first line of people who are protesting, and it seems to be going real well. And then at a certain point, it's predictable, about an hour into yep. it, start, cherry bombs get start thrown, and the whole thing turns into chaos. Yep. It seems to me, with technology and all the things that we have, you'd be able to isolate these people, arrest them, Get them out of there. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. I started my business 30 plus years ago. If I had, let's say, bought a little coffee shop downtown and I put my life investment into it, which I did to my own business running it, I took a different path, but I would be so angry. I mean, I'm angry now with the city and what their lack of response has been. But I would be so angry. I put my life savings in this little coffee shop and people are throwing rocks through it and destroying it. And then the city is just kind of going, well, summer of love, you know, this is great. Yeah. And I, and I, I right. just seen that before in this city, not distinguishing between peaceful protesters and the antagonists right. and the ones who want to do damage. Right. It's pushing the agenda is what it's doing. It's pushing vocal minority agenda um, to do to continue this these things. And I, you know, I I, I wonder why the city does not. Or the, or the police department, for that matter, does not start to publish those who were arrested. Where They don't have to give the name. Just give where the city is. Where do they live? 30 years ago, when I got on it, you had the police department that turned around and would tell the city, no, we're not doing that. That's not how it's going to operate. Certainly, there's always been conflict. They look at the political situation now. It's a mess. But I also uh-huh. say that um, it's always been a contact sport. It's not ever been easy. Sure. And we've had right. difficult times before. But now it's just like the parts, the moving parts, it just is hard to really grasp and make sense of it. Why is this happening? It wasn't funny, but it was ironic at the time when this first <clears throat> happened, when the, when the riots first started and um, we were into covid Everyone was angry. Everybody was at home. Everyone was unsettled. Everyone wasn't working. You couldn't go to work, right? And I remember driving in on the very first day after the the George Floyd situation in Minneapolis, which he should not have that should not have happened to that man. I think there's there's I haven't met or talked with a police officer that would say that was done in any shape or form, right. I remember driving south on I-5 and I said, this is going to be bad because, like I said, people were angry with COVID. They were angry because they were being told what to do and what they couldn't do and things were shut down and their businesses were closed and 
and and and and so on and so forth. So you had thousands of people who were down there downtown on that very first day. Started out very peaceful. Started out very peaceful. And I remember looking down Sixth Avenue, and I'm like, "What is on fire?" And that was where the three, the the five police cars, half a million dollars of uh, of vehicles and and equipment up and up in flames. And they, by the way, the two people that were responsible and got arrested for it weren't from Seattle. And and I just thought this this is going to be ugly. Just back to uh, Derek Chauvin just for a moment. And you looked at that situation. This guy's life being sucked out of him for over eight minutes and. Videos mm-hmm. were out there. I mean, there were iPhones. I mean, then you wonder what was mm-hmm. being done before iPhones if they were doing it this mm-hmm. way. But I ask people when they see something like this to look at their son, their daughter, or their closest individual they have and imagine that their son or daughter was under the knee of a policeman. What would they do? What would their feeling be? And that's what I ask people to do when they see something mm-hmm. like this. Just personalize it. Think of the person that's closest to you, and they're under that knee. Then tell me what yep. you think. Yep. No one, Paul, no one deserves to die. No one at the hands of another person. No one. I don't care if they are a thug. I don't care if they're a criminal. I don't care how extensive the record is. I don't care how, you know, goody two-shoes, church-going, you know, first pew, kneeling, the whole nine yards. No one deserves to die at, at the hands of another person. That was a medical. He was having a medical situation, and then before the officers took him out of the car, my opinion, they should have had medics there for him. Would you do it again? Would you be a police officer for a career again? Absolutely, absolutely. The good, the good outweighed any of the bad, um, and the people that I met along the journey, some of which are are very good friends, and the the people that you know, I, you know, you were able to help. Uh, even if it was for a moment in time, uh, was well worth it. And, you know, the city of Seattle helped me provide for my family. It's easy if you want to be negative, but it's better if you're positive. And we will get out of what's going on now. My thanks to retired Seattle police officer Kevin O'Neill. Almost 150 Seattle police officers have recently left the force. The police department has about the same number of officers as it did in 1990, which is about 1,200. Since then, the population of Seattle has increased by over 45%. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word. I want to take it back for you. When you first started writing your book, what did that process look like? And could you walk us through through that a little bit? Well, first of all, it's like the subject that you are writing about. And again, I go back to his self-employment for you. So I have a pretty good idea of the last page of the book, how I want it to end up, what my goal is in this book. And it always was clear to me that um, it was not trying to talk someone into going into business for themselves. That's not what this book was about or talk them out of it. All I wanted to do was when they closed this book, they would say, Wow, self-employment's for me. I can do this. Or they would say, 
no, it's not for me. What do you think are common traps for aspiring writers, and what advice would you give them? There's four phases. At least that's what I had. And the first one's okay. what I call free flow, and meaning that all you do is sit down in your computer and just write anything about the subject that comes to mind. Do not worry about structure. Do not worry about spelling. Don't worry about chapters. Just write. And then maybe you write for 20 minutes or a half hour. Shut it down. At some point, you come back, and then you take what you've just written and break it into paragraphs that you wrote something up here it is better down here in this paragraph or this chapter. You're starting to think about how you're going to break down the chapters and where this is going to be. Just spend 15 minutes doing that. Then you would come back for the cleanup, which is looking at the accuracy of what you've written. Let's say you cite some dates, make sure the dates are right, um, the names are right that you're referring to. And then the fourth step is then to edit what you're doing. Now you're going to spelling, grammar, typos, all that. Uh, how long did it take you to actually write the book? I started out in 2001, and it was published actually in the spring of 2004. So um, nice. that was three and a half years. Now, my next book, I did an update, is Self-Employment for You in 2017, and I called it Pre-Flight Checklist. And the reason I updated the book is because the technology had come a long way. So is it different now? self-employment than it was in 2003. Well, Apple basically didn't exist in 2003. Amazon was still the biggest river in um, you know South America or in the world. So, mm -hmm. wow, the world has certainly shifted. And <laughs> we you kind of talked about this with Jasmine in your last episode, but what did what do you hope to accomplish with your books? Um, I know they're really tools for people who are thinking about going into business, but even for you, uh, what were you hoping for? It's that it gave me credibility in the world of self-employment. And then you get introduced when you're talking to a group. He's the author of his self-employment for you. And people, oh, wow, he wrote a book on this subject. And, and I think, um, mm -hmm. you know, the, the questions you want to ask yourself to that end, Shante, is like, for example, the type of the book. Do you want to write a memoir? Do you want to write a novel, a children's book, a business book? And then the, I think another very good question are your expectations, kind of what I mentioned mm -hmm. before. I mean, do you just want this for your family and friends? I mean, you can self-publish now. Can we expect another book from you in the future? I'm starting to think that I'm not going to now. I'm just going to continue to look at the principles I have in my first book because so many principles I have in the book work under the coronavirus or what we're living through now. I'm going to do a better job myself of promoting this book before I go write another book. I, I feel like I often just play around with the idea of writing a book, and it's mainly based off of the fact that I have so much time. Um, but hearing you say that, you know, writing each day, I think that that could be extremely helpful um, for me personally and for anyone out there who's looking to write a book. Um, that's just really great advice. Yeah, I think it was a, somebody gave me that advice. I'm sure it, I didn't think of it on my own, and it was the best advice I got. And I, when I got into that rhythm, that has, that's how I was able to finish the book. Do you think that a aspiring writer could, could read your book and find good information that applies to them as well? Because I hear you talking, and I feel like there are some things in your book that might even help a, a writer decide whether or not this is the route they want to take. 
Yes, I would think so because many of the principles are in in the book about running a business. Well, it's like execution, uh, getting things done, like we referred to earlier. That's gold in business. I mean, I have a lot of people over the years, and I know that I did it before. You should do this. You should do that. And then you get to a point going, great. Glad to hear you say that, but I'll take that under advisement because you you understand after a while what it takes to execute and get it done. Take that idea and getting it done. So, yeah, no, um, Shante, I think there would be validity So, in that because if you go through this step process, I think you would – be able to make those determinations, not directly, but indirectly, of course. I definitely, um, I was listening to the podcast last episode or your last episode, and you said something about, you know, your competitors are your friends. And I always think of uh, benchmarking, like in marketing and using your competitors as kind of like where you kind of set your bar. Um, and I see that that could be beneficial for writers as well, you know, uh, read authors who are doing the same kind, uh, genre as you, as you, um, and use them as kind of like that stepping stone. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. That's a very good point. Whatever you want to do, go to the people who've already done it. And exactly. generally what they will do is be very generous with their time and advice because they've made it. They know that competitors are your best friends. They're not looking over their shoulder going, that's for rookies. Those are rookie mistakes. You worry about your competitor. I remember when I started my newspaper back in 1988. It was called Voices of Experience. I had a competitor called Prime Times, and both of us were focused on the older market. I spent too much time worrying about what they were doing. I would look at their ads that they were getting I wasn't getting. I had a better newspaper than them. I did this to myself. And then I realized, because they would do the same thing, if there was an advertiser in their paper, I'd go after them. And I would, uh, and they would do the same to me, and, and that's fair. And then you learn to, say, not get all defensive about it. But you, I, I looked at an ad, let's say, that ran in their paper, and I immediately would get a response from the potential advertiser who would say, I'm calling Voices of Experience newspaper. This is what I do. I see you're in prime times. And if they didn't get a good response from the ad, they would say, I'm not interested. Okay. So when then I would call someone else maybe, and then I'd say, I'm from Voices of Experience, like a retirement home or something like that. And then they say, oh, yeah, we were in prime times. Yeah, it went well. We got some good response. What do you do? Well, I do a similar paper. My target audience is a bit different. Well, tell me about it. Yeah, let's put an ad in your paper too. It worked in prime times. Okay. So- my job of selling was a lot easier. So I went from being really worried about the competition to cheering him on. When his paper got bigger, I said, great, good for him. And we became good buddies. My thanks to Shantae Young for her great questions about how to get that book from inside your head and making it a reality. Also, a big thank you to retired police officer Kevin O'Neill. It looks like the Trump team has exhausted all of its legal challenges and officially Joe Biden will be the president of the United States. So rather than continuing to feed Trump's ego, President-elect Biden can get on with the business of running a country. Quote of the week, just because your voice reaches halfway around the world, that doesn't mean that you are wiser when it reached only to the end of the bar. Edward R. Murrow. And always remember, experience is your best teacher.